Hello and welcome to this episode of Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTOcraft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have to have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions, we talk about a range of answers, and we talk about the context that makes those answers appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skillawell, where we do a unique form of technical training that we call targeted capability training that is personalized each individual in a team and and delivered through hands-on sessions with a live expert remotely in one-hour chunks. I've been a CTO for around 10 years. I've run events called Tech Leader Dinners for three years, um, and I've been a CTO coach and mentor. And one thing I found is that in every team, the same questions come up, but with different answers every time. And that's because context is critical. Today, the question we're going to be addressing is, should I replatform? And here to help me answer that is Rich Kershaw. Hello, Rich. Thank you, Howell. That's um, that's uh, an impressive intro. Um so uh, my name is Rich Kershaw. I'm a uh, career CTO. Um, I've been in the tech industry for about 20 years. Uh, and I've, I've held the CTO job title, uh, for better or worse, for about uh, 16 or 17. Uh, I'm currently on my, I would say, ninth CTO job title right now. Um, and over the years, I've done many things. I've worked in agency land, um, and I've also worked for consultancies and covered an enormous range of different projects across payments and UX and mobile app development and websites and IoT and transit and all sorts of things. Um, These days, I uh, do a combination of uh, due diligence consulting for investors, um, looking at the health and delivery capability of companies. So this particular topic today is one very close to my heart. Um, And I'm also a consulting CTO working for uh, companies who need more long-term process and strategy. Awesome. And today we're going to be talking about whether we whether teams should replatform what they're doing. And it sounds like with the breadth of the the breadth of your experience, you'll have answered that question in a lot of different contexts and in a lot of different kinds of company. And um, one of the things that I think is quite unique about us in the world of technology is it's the one place where legacy is seen as a bad thing. Normally, in everyday life, when someone leaves you a legacy, it means that you've got something uh, from a will, maybe, that's of, of immense value and that you've been passed on and you kind of take great care of it and maybe you end up passing it on to, to other people. And in the world of software, legacy almost always means a bad thing. And it's something that we, we use to sort of describe and denigrate um, bits of code that existed in the past. And I wonder if that plays into this conversation about replatforming that the old is bad and and new is good. What do you think about that? So I I agree wholeheartedly. I think think it does. Um, And I think there are many reasons why the answer to this question is it depends. Um, Certainly one of them, and I think it speaks to exactly this, is it depends who you ask. Um, In the tech sector, uh, there is is cachet placed upon the newness and modernity of your skills. Mm. Um, and that's for very sensible reasons. If you ask an individual person whether or not they want to build something using, um, for the sake of argument, let's say Java uh, versus Python, um, the average developer in the market right now is quite likely to say Python because it's it's newer. 
the market is a little bit bigger. Um, it's a bit more exciting. There's more uh, there's more startup and exciting innovation stuff going on around Python. Java tends to be a little bit more focused around enterprise. Um, and so if you were to promote a senior developer looking to invest in some new skills for their own career development, whether or not they think they should replatform their uh, their old school .NET version 2 back office, um, their answer is going to be very heavily and understandably influenced by their desire to learn new things uh, and upskill the team um, in a way that doesn't really have a parallel in the world of estate management where legacy is a good thing. You know, having the old retained thing, which is robust, is often not really a consideration that's made by hardcore engineering people who aren't looking outside into the commercial world. Mm. And I think you're right that we live, we work in a world where there is a, a bleeding edge that is always moving forward of new technology, new and interesting things that are, that are attractive for their newness. I think those things often do, or at least often should, come with benefits as well. And so from the perspective of a, of a developer, I can see the need to be up with the latest trends, learning the latest technologies. I suspect some of those come with benefits as well, that you as a CTO or if you're a, a team lead or a principal engineer, that you might also be taking into account when you're making a decision about replatforming. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that... That's one of the fundamental skills of a CTO. You know, it's it's balancing it's balancing the needs of your team as individuals. You know, we're not we're not nineteen fifties uh, warehouse or factory managers. You know, we are hopefully reasonably modern, reasonably enlightened managers of teams that we recognise as as individuals who have their own rich inner lives. And you know, and for that reason, it's really important in a modern work market that we do consider what people want to get out of their careers. Um, our job, amongst other things, is to balance that out against the needs of the company. So if someone is advocating for a replatforming exercise, how much of their bias is going to be coming from a desire to expand their skill set? Uh, how much of it is coming from uh, an ongoing frustration uh, with not being able to achieve certain things they're being asked of by the business uh, using the tools that they have right now? But also factoring into that um if you do refactor you do completely replatform everything are you going to lose some of that legacy state of knowledge experience robustness that you have in the platform right now and it, is it worth it you know that fundamentally is the balanced decision that you're trying to make in the abstract you've got a bunch of value that's been built up over the course of the past let's say five years in your Ruby on Rails project, and everybody's going, we need to be doing Node.js running on Lambda. Um, well, sure, it might open up the opportunity for you to do some interesting things, and it might be a really, you know, a really great attractor for talent to come in and work on the latest and greatest platforms. Um, but what what are you losing in the process? You know, what skills and experience and market knowledge? has been uh, crystallized into your old Ruby on Rails software stack that maybe you're not necessarily considering part of the assessment. You know, effectively, that's it's hidden value that maybe your architect and maybe if you went back like the last five people to leave your company for better pastures might go, oh, whoa, you should really be aware that we've got this really clever algorithm that optimizes costs for our server hosting. Hmm. 
are you aware of that or are you purely being driven forward by the need for sort of new stuff and shininess and an ability to embrace all of this innovative stuff coming up um that that's that's a there's a lot to be said for the devil you know isn't there if you've already got something and you've worked through the kinks in it and you've got something that's that's functional and robust then for all of its problems at least they're well understood problems at this stage in the the, the kind of product or the the journey of building that thing absolutely yeah that that's that's a very yeah that that's a, a, a truism definitely i mean i i do quite a lot of due diligence work as i as i mentioned at the beginning and I get asked quite frequently about tech debt, um, and you know the, the the conversation around replatforming fundamentally is a conversation about tech debt management. Um, it's a huge grey area. There is no definitive correct answer to whether or not a particular piece of functionality is tech debt or not, unless you're talking about the most extreme cases. You know, if you've got some, you know, non-Y2K compliant COBOL code in your code base that just happens to have never <laughs> caused a problem yet, that's probably tech debt. <laughs> yeah. um, but on the other hand, um, if you've got something which is a little bit more ambiguous than that, you know, a bit of, uh, you know, circa 2004 Java code, which is lurking somewhere in your code base, which someone was canny enough to turn into a nominal microservice at some point, but it just kind of left there. Is that tech debt? Well, actually, you know, the question of whether or not you should take that, you know, should you do a mini replatforming of that element of your system? Um, is it tech debt just because it's old? Well, no, because if it just does a, a self-contained thing in the background and it never needs touching and it's internally well understood and it's very clear and you've got lovely observability into how it operates and what goes wrong, what happens, then I, I would say that's probably not tech debt. You know, have you got the internal skills base to be able to maintain it if anything ever does go wrong with it? Yes, well, it's probably not tech debt. The point where... Uh, start legacy things in your infrastructure, I think, cross that barrier into becoming tech debt, triggering a conversation about replatforming, is when one or more of those things become true. Because that's the point at which you have to balance it out against a very real cost. So if, um, you know, if something going wrong would result in you having to hire a specialist in that particular area very rapidly, because the legacy software was built by somebody who uses tech, which is no longer easily hireable for, uh, and then they left, that's tech debt. And so now you've got a little bit more of an argument about whether or not you should replatform. And I think that's the point at which you, you know, this, is, this conversation moves towards an area where it becomes really quite clear that you're almost doing a pros and cons accounting exercise and figuring out what it is that's important to your company. Um, and the things that I would consider you would want to stack up against each other are, oh God, there's a multitude. So um, can you hire people to maintain the thing? Um, how robust is it? How critical is it to your infrastructure? Um, do your internal staff right now understand how it's architected? Or is it a horrible spaghetti? Uh, that sort of thing. You know, just mm. add all of these things up. And you end up with cost benefits, and sometimes you can actually even break them down into, you know, perceived risk 
and how much it would cost you to deal with it. And actually, those are probably the situations that I find the easiest to deal with, because if you can break it down into the cost of fixing it if it goes wrong and how much it will cost you in broken SLAs if it does, Mm. well, at least then you can take that argument through to the finance team and say, we need to kick off a new project and you need to pay for it. I, I Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you've identified a lot of really important factors there. One thing I'd like to get your opinion on is how opportunities play into that. Because I think a lot of the things that you talked about were costs and threats, essentially, things that could go wrong with it. We might not be able to hire enough COBOL developers anymore. COBOL is getting a very bad rap on this um, on our on our <laughs> podcast so far. So at some point, we really must find a COBOL fan to come on and be our guest. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we're this is this is absolutely a consequence of my age. Um, I, <laughs> I started working in the software industry at pretty much the point at which COBOL developers were in the process of digging the world out from underneath the Y2K panic. Right. So a lot of the early conversations in the first year or so that I was a software developer were around, is there any COBOL we need to deal with? So in my in my head, it's what's the worst thing that you could have as legacy software? COBOL. Yes. It's a language I'm only really familiar with from Dilbert cartoons. Um, so that's my my COBOL exposure. And um, what I was going to ask is whether you whether opportunities play into this accounting and how you think about them. So if if someone says, well, if we rebuilt this from uh, Java into Rust, we would get five times speed up on that service, which would make us competitive, and then we'd be able to go and get the lucrative contract with this other customer. And um, how would you kind of include that in your thinking? I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty much essential. I think. The, I mean, the question of replatforming, I think, often often gets cast into a very heavily technical light. Um, mm. So, you know, someone will raise in a in a roadmap strategy meeting, for example, you know, the question of replatforming, saying we've got this aging code base, it's causing us, you know, it's causing us some pain. Uh, we think we should platf- we should replatform, and the CEO leaning heavily, hopefully, on their on their CTO might very well say, well, I, you know, I don't know, this is outside of my field of expertise. Um, but to my mind, I think actually one of, one of the key responsibilities of the CTO is to take the rather abstract and intangible, we should replatform and turn that into a question, which actually has some finite questions and answers around it. So for example, um, you know, replatforming, the question of replatforming probably will have arisen from some, you know, some, from pain points or some triggers. Um, and an exercise that I like to do when I'm looking at whether or not something represents tech debt and whether or not you should sort of keep a painful delivery process around uh, a bit of your infrastructure, or you should just, you know, effectively do a blank canvas rework is what's our fact base for this? You know, are we making an emotional decision because we dislike this thing or do we dislike this thing because there is actually a, a tangible pain arising from it um and i think that makes the whole process of considering it you know a great a great deal easier so um you know if you can then go around the business and start constructing a business case for it and i think that's where the opportunity comes in if you just talk to your development team about it then they're going they're going to raise negatives inherently you know the people who are closest to the workload are going to say well you know this code is badly written, this build process takes too long and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I think it's only by reaching outside the team that you can start looking for the opportunity cost associated with not replatforming as well. So for example, um, things that might only become visible 
when you talk to a sales team would be, um, well, we've really wanted to be able to do this particular thing for a new segment of the market we identified. But I've already been back to the engineering team three times this year and asked them whether they can do X. And they said no. So I've just stopped asking. Um, and that's a good example of the, the sort of situation where if you if you treat your replatforming exercise effectively as a new scoping exercise, then you can go outside and you can go, we're looking at this with fresh eyes. We're looking for the opportunity cost that we might be missing out on right now because, um, you know, because we're not asking the right questions or teams outside don't know that we've got to focus on this thing. Mm. At which point it may then turn out that the entire sales team has been chomping at the bit to do something revolutionary with your product development. But because they mentioned it once and someone said no, it was just assumed to be flat out impossible. Once you start factoring that in, that can tip the balance enormously. You know, looking at the opportunities that would be available to you if, for example, uh, you know, say you, you reworked an old school .NET application uh, and recoded your back end using Node.js and redeployed it on AWS Lambda. Well, you know, now this means that the whole cost model for scaling goes out the window and gets replaced with something very much more granular, at which point you've got a long tail of customers you can go after, hmm. which you just couldn't before. I think the trick with a CTO is being the communicator who can help bridge the gap between those two worlds. So saying to the sales team, look, guys, you know, we know you've got aspirations and you want to achieve new things. And the idea of replatforming sounds big and scary, but that's what I'm here for. I'm essentially here in my role as CTO as a, as a sink for all of the crazy client feedback and innovative ideas in the market mm. where you might be thinking, well, whenever I go and talk to our head architect, they pull a face and they go, oh, no. But actually, it's the CTO's job to sit there and be the buffer to aggregate all of that stuff and then go and talk to the engineering team and find out their pain points and get some scoping and understand what that looks like. Mm. And that, that I think, is the tipping point between um, things which are just kind of legacy tech debt and things which turn into a replatforming exercise. The, you know, the combo of saved costs from removing frustrations and extra income opportunities, which you might be missing out on currently, is the difference between tech debt and replatforming. Mm. That's really interesting, and I, I like that analysis because I think it brings together all of the all of the knowns, and you try and put them all together to make that business case, so that you can say, you know, we've got these opportunities that we're not able to pursue right now, but if we if we rebuild in this, you know, we can knock up a prototype in half a day that shows this benefit, which should allow us to approach those. I guess yeah. the the thing that I'm wondering about now is the the two big unknowns that it occurs to me are here. One of which is that the devil that you know that I was talking about earlier, that there are the unknowns about the things that we've encoded in the current platform and we don't really realize are encoded in there. Maybe there's something that we don't realize is a side effect of what we're doing that if we re replatformed, we might not uh, we might not be able to reproduce immediately or very easily. And then the second one is looking at the the current version we have, the lessons we think we've learned. Oh, that went horribly wrong. And if we had our time again, wouldn't we do it differently? There's another big intangible, unknown, difficult to quantify thing there. Because I suspect part of this does come down to the gut feel. Because I, I don't think you could take all those opportunities, uh, you know, and reduce them to a bunch of numbers and go, oh, look, the, you know, the benefits are two and the cost of doing this is one. So we're going to do this. I, I think it's more complex than that, isn't it? 
I think it is. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting the way, the way that you put it there and you, you said, you know, that ultimately it comes down to gut feeling. I mean, now that you've put it to me that way, I think actually that's, that, that's a really good summation of, of why I feel so strongly about the idea of, of figuring out your fact base from the get go. So I've worked with clients where, um, you know, they, they would consider that they've got a very good process driven model for delivering software. Mm. But from the inside, it's often, you know, it's often difficult to see the extent to which your processes are quite opinionated. Um, and, you know, and I like the idea of describing your processes and your software development and your architecture as, you know, non-opinionated versus opinionated. Um, obviously, this fits in with the theme of the podcast really well. And I think just the ability to point things out to a team and say, well, you know, you have been talking about how you do this thing best practice, but actually you've made an arbitrary decision about the fact that doing things in such and such a way is the best way. Actually, any one of 15 different ways of doing things could probably have worked just as well. How many of the assumptions about your platform and your software have been built on a slightly inadvertently religious mm. assertion that a thing is right? Um, and, you know, techies are terrible for this. You know, you learn, you, you started out at the beginning of your career writing, um, you know, writing code in, in Python. And, and so now Python is the best thing ever. Um, I'd like to think that most people going into architecture roles and CTI roles have sort of moved past that a little bit. And there, you know, I would hope there are more tools for the job type people there. But you do still get people who are big fans of a particular platform or another. Mm. Going in and questioning these little pockets of assumption and received wisdom about the way that you do things is super important when you're thinking about replatforming. Um, and, and even the phrase replatforming as well, I think, can be a little bit, uh, a little bit dangerous in this context because there's an inherent assumption there that when you're doing your replatforming exercise by necessity you have to chuck everything out mm. and actually you you don't you know there's there's a migration process you know regardless of whether or not you completely rework your entire platform and then do a you know hit a switch and, and flip it across to version two or whether you do a slow migration Replatforming, I think, is much more about the pitch to the rest of the business than it is about the process that you go through, go through in order to do it. So I think if I'm thinking about replatforming, you know, if you, if you treat replatforming as a, as, as a business communications tool more than a decision about whether or not your engineering team are going to do a thing or not, mm. I think that's actually possibly more of a helpful way of thinking about it. Your C-suite, unless you're a very technical company, probably aren't going to give two hoots about, um, you know, the technical reasons why you're re-engineering a whole bunch of stuff at great expense. Mm. Um, and the question of whether or not you should re-platform, it's going to include that as a big factor, you know. It's, it's not just, you know, can I deal with the pain of, you know, sticking a, a big pin in our roadmap and rebuilding a whole bunch of stuff. It's also, you know, oh God, how do I communicate this out to finance? What do I tell the CS team when their clients ask for new features? Um, you know, what does the CEO say when they're going to, uh, you know, the next conference about where the software platform's going? Um, so being able to say we're replatforming 
is quite a powerful thing mm. because it apart from anything else it's a talisman around which you can hang all sorts of ideas about modernizing and staying ahead of the curve and putting in place new frameworks to build wonderful new features in the future and look at us we're, we're re-platforming where our competitors are still on their old platform um and i think that can be quite useful in pushing things through but i would advise anyone thinking about the re-platforming exercise don't get too carried away with the idea that re-platforming has to be a chuck everything out and start again exercise i mean in fact for most businesses it can't be a chuck everything out and and, and, re, and redo it from the start exercise because you've got all of that legacy knowledge and robustness and the you know the hidden value within your old software platforms replatforms probably gonna have to be quite a meticulous exercise you know you're you know to use an analogy that i've i've used to to convince uh management teams about about spend on this kind of stuff a lot in the past you're swapping out the engines on your 747 while you're mid-flight it's rarely going to be an easy thing unless you have the luxury of being able to have a bunch of your clients on version one and then just sort of onboard new people to version two and do a really manual migration from point a to point b not many companies have the ability to do that Mm. what you're actually probably going to be doing is saying well, I mean, this is a big monolithic software application running on, you know, a bunch of physical servers in our data center. Um, can we insert an abstraction layer in between here and then reroute some traffic off to a nice restful microservice over here? And and you know, that will be one fifth, one sorry, one fiftieth of our replatforming exercise. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of you well, what happens in the real world is you just kind of incrementally chip away at it. And if you're really lucky, you can use replatforming as a lever to sell the big package to management. Mm. And you can hit pause and avoid distractions and say, well, you know, yes, we're chipping away at it, but we're chipping away at it in a way which is uh, concurrent and in one big block of work. And we're starting on day one and we're finishing on day 50, at which point it'll all be done. But actually, what's much more likely to happen is that replatforming will be a parallel exercise to your business operate day to day business operations. And so, you can use the term replatforming as a way to keep everybody outside engineering focused on the fact that you've ring fenced a bunch of time to do something really important for your operations. And that process you were describing, that to me sounded like the the strangler pattern, right? That's how I've heard it described before that you yeah. you essentially start growing the new the new software and it kind of overtakes the old one and, and strangles it like a kind of uh, invasive plant species or something, um, wrapping itself around it. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the way that you deal with with what you were talking about with all, all that legacy stuff. You know, you you just kind of really carefully, you know, strangle the old application bit by bit. You know, you 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 build something new, you migrate the traffic, you make sure it behaves in the way it's intended to, and you you know you do a slow move from point A to, a to point B, making sure that you're capturing all of that hidden value along the way mm. in a way that's you know smoke testable and reasonably safe. And, you know, where you can do an A-B switch back across the previous system if it turns out that you actually missed something that your lead engineer wrote 15 years ago and failed to document. Mm. And how would you think about those those big unknowns at the point when you're making the decision? Because at that point, you don't, they might be there and they might not. You don't know the size of them. Those kind of, as you said, the undocumented behaviors, the the reason this was written in this weird way is because it has some some benefit that no one can really see when they look at the code now, but it turns out to be super duper important to the product. Um, how do you how do you weigh those up without just relying on gut feel? Or do you just rely on gut feel? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to avoid an answer here which sounds like gut feel because I don't think that's that's particularly helpful. Um, and I think more to the point, anybody in this situation is going to find that they've got colleagues who aren't going to be terribly satisfied with a gut feel answer. Um, I think you try and quantify the health status of the company at the point at which the things that you are worried may have been written into the code mm. were written. Um I mean, that's certainly how I'm handling a couple of projects at the moment. So, um, uh, you know, to take an example, there is uh, there is a replatforming exercise going on uh, with a project that I'm involved with. And uh, it's not a wholesale rewrite, but it's replatforming insofar as we're taking a big monolithic application. We're splitting the code base out. Uh, we're firing it up in a zero app service uh, as microservices. We're documenting the layers between it. Um, I know that about three years ago, they had a lead developer who was a uh, a proverbial rock star, um, in the uh, in in the cliched and somewhat negative sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a a repository, one way repository for information and expertise, and that person did have a tendency to write a whole bunch of code, which was badly documented, with the occasional bit of quirkiness in there. I think a lot of it does come at that point down to gut, where you say, well, you know, how how dysfunctional do I think this piece of software development is likely to have been? I think all you can really do is get to maybe within 25% of an answer in terms of how much contingency you need to attach to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we think that it might have been a little bit dysfunctional at the time, then you might say, well, we'll, you know, we'll take our time estimate, we'll do our usual contingency calculation on our sizing, and then we'll bung on 50, uh, you know, 25%. If it was very esoteric and it represents, uh, you know, effectively there's a bit of code that represents an algorithmic snapshot of how an entire industry worked 10 years ago that no one ever bothered to write down and it's impenetrable code. I mean, you may even say, well, this is a thing where we want to double it. I think the way that you prevent that from becoming runaway and you make sure that you don't just say about your entire platforming exercise, well, screw it, let's just double everything and add 50%, um, is you just get really granular. And I think that comes back to my point earlier about establishing your fact base. Part of that is going and talking to all the stakeholders and figuring out what people actually really need and where their pain points are. Part of it is about examining the code base and just you know sort of taking the big replatforming job and breaking it down because – one, you know, if you take your big replatforming exercise and you break it down into much smaller chunks, actually, the the more granular you get with your project planning, the less it resembles replatforming, and the more it resembles a sort of you know a combination of refactoring and reimplementation. Um, and you can get more precise about it, you know, even if you have the most crazy mad scientist genius software developer with terrible personal skills who never wrote anything down and then, uh, you know, then got hit by a bus. Even in that worst case scenario, you're probably going to find that there's a, you know, half of their code you can probably open up and understand reasonably well. You know, there, there will be focal points of pain around understanding the impact of all of that kind of legacy painful stuff. So break it down, try and, box things up a little bit and you know if you are doing the strangler pattern which is you know the one that i tend to like for this sort of thing um 
you know, uh, try and understand the individual components and scope them down as small as you possibly can do whilst reasonably maintaining a little bit of discipline around, you know, focusing on a particular piece of your infrastructure because the more focused you can be, the more you can limit the impact of those, those unknowns. You can't get rid of them completely. No. The only way to get rid of them completely would be to do a discovery exercise, which would take exactly as long as rewriting the code <laughs> because it would be rewriting the code. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like... Um, the most accurate map of the planet that you could build would be the planet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's the classic thing that the, the only accurate estimate is to do the, do the thing and then tell, tell everyone how long it took. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a team leader or, or architect perennial headache, isn't mm. it? It's like, well, we won't know until we've done it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we can approximate, right? We can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been there. I've been that developer. I've been the person in the situation of kind of going, well, I don't want to be drawn on this because it's big and scary. But, you know, that's part of the part of the skill of having a good project lead in place or good project managers is being able to say, well, you know, okay, let's, let's chip away at the problem a little bit mm -hmm. and break it down into segments so that we can at least get to a point where you're comfortable making a 75% accurate estimate. Yeah. And I liked your description of sort of cleaning up after the rock star developer. Um, they can't always play the guitar, but they're always very good at wrecking the hotel room, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. All right. So I've, I've been trying to make a list of the kind of everything that you've, you've talked about that people should be bearing in mind when they're looking at this decision. And part of that is about looking at what you've got now, how robust it is, um, and the kind of the known good things about it, um, how critical it is to, to the company, to the project. There's an element of it that's the kind of team desire to move to new technology, as well as all the benefits that the new technology could bring. And um, there's about the humans that you're going to need to maintain it and make sure that either the uh, both the old and the new versions work well. And there's a point, there's an important point about really understanding what you have now and seeing the problems in it as technical debt um, that you need to resolve one way or another. And replatform being replatforming being one way of doing that. And then there's a really important point about building the business case, either around resolving pain or allowing for opportunities that involves, sure, the dev team, but also from all the other teams in the company, in the organization, who might benefit from those opportunities and making it a real, a kind of something that you don't have to internally sell that almost sells itself because the benefits are so clear um, to the rest of the organization. And then in terms of doing it, we talked a bit about the strangler pattern and having a kind of building building the new version alongside the old one and slowly um you know one fiftieth at a time directing traffic to the new version so that you any unknowns are much smaller in their scope and the kind of whole thing is broken down and um, because then anything that's imprecise or unknown about the new version is at least imprecise and unknown about a small fraction of it. Um, does that sound like the right kind of stuff to be bearing in mind, or do you feel like there's something glaring that's missing? Um, I mean, I think those are the headlines for sure. I, I think the the I think you know there are a few there are a few things I think which which are you know which make this this calculation easier. I think um, certainly replatforming is is still viewed with a lot of trepidation because it sounds big and scary and it can be big and scary but actually you know a lot of the infrastructure that we have for cloud-based hosting um it makes the process a lot easier so 
Um, if you're going to do a, you know, sort of strangler pattern style, slow migration of individual components, well, you know, actually the way that a lot of companies would view as being best practice for building a microservices architecture um, is exactly what I would have done. And in fact, in a couple of cases did do 15 years ago before a lot of this stuff existed in order to do a point A to point B migration. It's just that in those days I had to write a platform which essentially, you know, resembled lambda mm. um or you know resembled containerization um you know you have abstraction layers between between all the key parts of your system you have a harness that you can use to you know switch your traffic from point a to point b we've got a huge advantage as technologists these days that actually a lot of this stuff exists and it's not you know it's not referred to as intelligent migration technology it's just you know the standard it's just it's yeah it's just the cloud yeah. um and that's great. So I think that's, you know, there's a good argument there for, I mean, from a certain point of view, I think you could make the argument for removing the phrase replatforming from people's lexicon mm. entirely, because it takes something which, if you're in a sort of continuous due diligence mindset when it comes to your infrastructure, which is something I also advocate for fairly heavily, um, you should be looking at this kind of stuff from time to time anyway. You know, if you're building you know, reliable, scalable, maintainable infrastructure, the process of occasionally looking over your infrastructure and seeing if there are opportunities where you can sort of split things out or make your traffic more observable mm. or remove a bottleneck so that things are more scalable should actually just be a continuous part of establishing your, you know, establishing a roadmap. Mm. So, I mean, in an ideal development team, one where you didn't have a huge amount of legacy hanging around their necks like a millstone, I think that replatforming wouldn't be replatforming. Replatforming would just be an ongoing background task of maintaining system health and maintaining scalability. The only thing that makes it replatforming is where you've let it build up for enough time that it becomes a big, scary project. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, I think the challenge for CTOs is taking the phrase replatforming and figuring out how to break that down into something that becomes an ongoing function of your engineering team. Mm, interesting. That is an excellent point to end on. So thank you very much for, uh, for everything you've shared today. I really hope this will give people a lot of food for thought um, and help inform the way that they think about replatforming, not just as a one-off activity or an activity they do every two years, but a way of building it into their entire process. Join us again next time when I'll be discussing the question, should I use the Spotify model with my guest, Rob Elkin.